and welcome to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Shoeless Joe Jackson. Ooh, you're going. I have no. I actually have no shoes. No on shoes right on. Now. Wear a bunch of. And I can't read. I don't think that's true. I can read. Actually, I read a great deal. We feel badly. Yes. For DB Sweeney's performance in this film. No, not for his performance. For his, for his character, character and the historical person he's based well, on. Well, due to his performance, it. I feel badly right. due to his performance. He so, made us feel bad about ourselves. This week we watched a very good movie starring very many very good people that I had very much never heard of before. 1988's Eight Men Out. Uh, directed by, do you know who? I'll John Sayles. John Sayles. Written Sales. and written for the screen and directed mm. by John Sayles, and also starring John Sayles. Well, well yes. Cameoing John Sayles in a in a role that actually fits him, which is good. I've always had issues with directors appearing in films, uh, with performing parts, not like Hitchcock stepping in and out of right. the frame, or but, even Stephen King, who's not a director. Hi. Yeah. I got confused on this premise. <laughs> but it, it's always problematic because you often have a director who is stepping into a scene with actors who are much better than him and stands out like a sore thumb. And it's rare that an actor or director can fit in. Um, but yes, John Sayles and... John Sayles, who is the person equivalent of the Eagle Muppet. At least in this role. He's real haughty. And very tall. And very tall. And looking down upon everyone. And he's playing one of the more famous uh, sports writers ever. What's his name? In front uh, of you. Ring Lardner. I want to make Ring? sure to get that right. Mm-hmm. Ring. Who actually looks not. a great deal like John Sills. Well, believe it or not. Other way around, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Since I think Ring was around. I have a lot of personal history around baseball, but I don't care for it myself. So let's go over what this movie even is about, because right. I didn't even know what this was about. Okay. Um, even once you knew what it was about, and so had some history of it. So in 1919, the Chicago White Sox won the World Series, and they, uh, some of them were involved in a scheme to fix it. Uh, no, they didn't win the World Series. They, they lost, lost the World Series, series okay. on purpose. That's what we're saying. They threw the World Series. Uh, for money, because they were making no money. And this is the story of those who were actually involved, those who were sort of involved, those who were said to be involved but were absolutely not involved, and the sort of the situation that led up to it and then what happened afterwards. They're called mm-hmm. colloquially the Black Sox. Right. Ha, it's a pun. Yes. Sort because of. Because black is the color of shame. Well, it's just not white. It's not white. See, there's just so much wrong with that. So this movie stars uh, everyone. I'm going to go with everyone. Right. John Cusack is the main face uh, we're also looking at uh, a very young Michael Rooker. We've got D.B. Sweeney. We've got David Strathairn with the darkest hair I've ever seen him with. Uh, we've got a Christopher Lloyd. We've got a Charlie Sheen. That's the names I know, but there are other And a really young Nancy Travis. Names. Well before Three Men and a Baby. And yeah, but for all intents and purposes, Rose the Rand. women in this movie are not. Well, the, the film is... 
I, I think that the story had to be told the way it was because it's really about the eight men out. Right. Um, and the women come in peripherally, but... Yeah, you know, I, that's fine. I'm not saying yeah. this movie should have more women in it, but it there are almost the Bechtel test. no women in it's it. It's really the men in, the women appear in relation to the families of the men and yes, what they do. Yes, wives. Right. Um, but just to give a, a little bit of what I talked about earlier, the personal history, uh, I was never into baseball. But I've always been around it. My dad was. And when I worked for Homeless Book Company very early on, uh, my manager, David Hurlbut, really... Really going to name check people? <laughs> okay. <laughs> really loved baseball. And this was one of his favorite films. And so I kept hearing about it. I never saw it. I kept meaning to because I, I really liked this John This must Sales have been work. right when it came out. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, there was a, a couple of baseball movies that it was going under. There was a kind of renaissance. Bull Durham was around um, Major League. There was like a... Major League isn't a real baseball movie, though, is it? I thought it was a comedy. Well, it's kind of a baseball comedy, but there was a lot of baseball stuff around, so he was having a great time with it. But, um, but yeah, I've always meant to. I didn't see the movie. What's interesting is his complaint at the time, and apparently was echoed by some critics, that they couldn't tell all these young, tall, thin, white guys apart. It, there were a lot of white dudes, just in, white dudes. I know, but around. it had to be. Right? I understand. And in that. retrospect, though, it's like that's David Stratham, that's DB Sweeney, that's, you know, these are all these. I recognize them now. I'm sure at the time that they were just yeah. young guys starting out and nobody knew who they were. No, I mean, it's the same situation with, that I had with uh, Animal House. Yeah, well. Yeah. I'm like, who's what? And again, the same solution, because I knew who they were because I'd seen them since then. Right, since then. These guys are a lot more well-known to me than the dudes from Animal House. So, um, But even on the screen, Mm -hmm. you're looking at two gamblers, and those are pretty definitive. I know who those guys are. Uh Three or four journalists, and those are pretty definitive. You know who those are. Two def- detectives. I don't know if they're baseball detectives or detective they're detectives. Baseball detectives, because it really doesn't go into the criminal courts until the last part of the film. Right. And there's but not I, really anything that they did criminally wrong, right? No, you. I mean, you can't, the game. Yeah. You can't do that. But there's not a lot of. Um, like official activity, there's the the birth of the police commissioner and and things like that. There baseball were baseball commissioner, commissioner. Yeah. No, we have yet to. <laughs> um, and then there's the entire team, mm-hmm. some of whom are in on it and some of whom aren't, and it is a little confusing, right, to determine who's in on it and who's not in on it, which I think almost mirrors the situation because. Y'all, in 1919, these were not high specimens of athleticism, necessarily. I would disagree with you there, but go on. They are not the baseball players that they are I now. know, but as you pointed out, Shoeless Joe Jackson's record still stands. The, yes, but physically, uh-huh. these men are not in the gym. Mm-hmm. These men are not. These men are drinking regularly. Right. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. not taking the amount of extracurriculars that are current baseball. Like, none of them probably is over six feet tall. They're just regular-looking dudes, and they're 
getting paid mm, some, a little bit. They almost seem to be get pay, getting paid like part-time wages or it's something. Almost it's almost like, yeah. ridiculous. So the Eddie, who is David Strathairn, who is our pitcher, is getting paid. We only know what he's getting paid because he says it. Mm-hmm. 6K a year. Now it's 1919. So $6,000 then is not $6,000 now. But it's also not six million dollars now, which is what you know. It's far less than what most the, people are getting. A, well, no, but what a pitcher what, in what a, a major league, World Series bound, the best team we've ever seen, mm-hmm. ain't making six k or the today's equivalent of six thousand dollars. Now the film really hinges on the relationship between the players or the motivation for what they do, is really based on the relationship between. The players and and Charles Comiskey, who's the owner, and he's played by Clifton James, who's a character actor. He's a real dick. Yeah, he's a piece of work, that guy. And and Clifton James was a character actor from way back. Um, so I just did ran yeah. a quick in, uh, inflation calculator. All right. uh, you're looking at about ninety thousand dollars a year. Um. So. On the lowest end, baseball players are not making that. They're making way more than that. So, So, yeah. And he's supposed to be getting a bonus. Comiskey's dick. Well, Comiskey, one of the scenes that we get in terms of why someone... Because there's two players who are Michael Rooker and um, Don Harvey, right? And they're playing Chick Gandy and Swede Reisberg. And these are the two guys who from the beginning of the film, are in on the fix from the beginning. Yeah. Like, it happens off screen, whatever it's arrangement they make. It's unclear. Did they go to the gamblers, mm-hmm. or did the gamblers go to them? It, I, I, I did feel that was unclear. Okay. I know the first thing And maybe are, that's on purpose. Maybe right. nobody really knows, or they don't want to say. Christopher Lloyd and his uh, former, his pug, <laughs> former pug uh, companion. Yeah. Whose name escapes me are watching a game, we're watching these two, and they're picking out who else will be a part of the conspiracy, conspiracy. to throw the game. Right. So we start, mm-hmm. we're going into the World Series. This is, as many people say, the greatest team that they're, they've ever fielded, mm-hmm. that anyone's ever seen. Um, there's a nice scene where a uh, black field take, or like caretaker of the field janitor or whatever they say, what do you think of this team? He's like, best team i ever seen. White team, anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, that's real. The Negro Leagues were real. And also, again, being, better. J- being John Sales, he would remember a detail like that because he's a huge fan. Um, and um, the they're, they're placed three to one to win mm-hmm. the whole thing. And Kaminsky has said it's not going to take all nine games. Apparently, y'all, the World Series was nine games once upon a time. It's only seven now. That's what I know about baseball. Da-da-da. That's it. A <laughs> series, seven games. Best four of seven. Uh, so Eddie talks about how he's, because um, he, he's saving up money for his kids to go to college. He's got two little girls. And he was told that he would get a bonus. He was benched for a couple of games. Seemingly specifically. 
so he wouldn't get this bonus. He was promised a bonus of $10,000 if he had 30 wins, and he had 29 wins. And he definitely would have won a couple of the games he was benched. Had he not been deliberately benched. And that's the the sense that you get. These guys have a genuine grievance now. um, Yeah, and he's in a meeting with Comiskey, and Comiskey is like, you don't get any money you don't deserve. And I'm like... He's definitely going to fuck you now. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of... John Sales has a gift for presenting just the right scene with just the right information. And there's a wonderfully metaphorical scene early in the film where um, the press is interviewing the team. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the, the coach, who's um, really good, John Mahoney. John Mahoney. Playing Kid Gleason. The dad from Frasier. And he's the dad of this team, too. He's He's so good. He's really good because you can see the the layers of guilt and shame and anger and things going through him all the time. And he presents them with what's supposed to be... They don't know that this is their bonus. They think this is an addition to their bonus. Champagne. Um, He then informs them they don't have a bonus. The bonus is the champagne. And champagne turns out to be flat. Yeah. Which Already is, pre-opened champagne. Right. So this is the perfect metaphor for the way that Comiskey treats his star players. We're making him a lot of money. A ton of money. Right. And there's also the other thing that you become aware of, because Christopher Lloyd's character represents a small-time hoodlums who are trying to arrange with big-time hoodlums because they don't have the bankroll to, to turn yeah. these guys over. And so the, the film becomes... Two or three different threads. It becomes the players trying to see, two players trying to see if they can convince the rest of the people to turn for, I'm not sure what the amount was. It was something. It was supposed to be 20,000. Okay. It was supposed to be $10,000 a game. All right. Um, the numbers get fudged from level Several to times, level. Yeah. And then they're given a chunk of money, and then middlemen rip parts of that off right. to go and bet themselves on what yeah, they now know the outcome is going to be. And it's going to sound really horrible to say this because there is a lot of racial undertones. There's the Irish criminals and the Jewish criminals. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, the uh, the the, the uh, Jewish criminal who winds up having the money to bankroll this... Michael Lerner. Arnold Rothstein. Okay, so Arnold Rothstein who is uh, has a great deal of money. Yes. He's very so, wealthy. And he's a gangster? He's an actual real-life gangster who's the basis for Hyman Roth in oh, Godfather 2. Right. In Godfather 2, okay. Which is the film that we saw. So there's an interesting connection to another film that we saw. So he gives 80K, uh-huh. who, which is supposed to be given to the team. Uh-huh. Period. 40 of that, or 60 of that maybe, is taken from the middlemen to be bet on these games, and 20 of it is forwarded to the team. Now, Eddie, okay, the baseball players that we really care about are Eddie, who is the pitcher. He's 35. Great pitcher still, though. He has integrity, but he has played by the rules and gotten screwed. Constantly. And wants this $10,000 that's owed to him. And so he says he'll do it if there's $10,000 in his hands before the first game. We also have Bucky, Buck Weaver, John Cusack's character, who hates to lose. Absolutely hates to lose. So, and, like, this is a time, too, when 
they would play catch on the streets with fans. Right, and he's a genuinely, most of these guys, Michael Rooker's character isn't, we get a sense that he used to be a boxer, and he threw threw matches when he was a boxer, which is something we get told early on, so we know what kind of guy he is. Right, well, I was, that's why I wanted to focus on the three that we kind of care about. So, John Cusack's character hates to lose, Uh and has integrity, and and rapport with the fans, so Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to fuck anything up for them. And Shoeless Joe Jackson, D.B. Sweeney's character, who cannot read, is more than functionally illiterate, is in fact illiterate, and not super bright. Mm, He's... He's probably not... He's defensive about his ignorance, too. Well, I think that's because he gets a lot of shit for it. Yeah. He comes from a very poor family in the South, but he's a phenomenal baseball player. To the point where he still holds records. Right. And this was the final season of baseball that he played. Right. Officially. And he was in his prime of of Major League Baseball. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Whatever Major League... What's Major League now is not what this was. That's the other thing is we're talking about different leagues and different. Um, and they're going to play the Reds. The Reds are heavily favored to lose. The Reds believe themselves to be heavily favored to lose. <laughs> like you see a couple of conversations um, amongst them that are like, well, we're basically fucked, right? Mm-hmm. And then they then not so much. So some money gets handed down, enough of it gets to Eddie where Eddie agrees. Um, And then it's, for the entirety of the series, unclear who is pulling any strings at all. They're supposed to lose three games and then evaluate, like, then they were going to get receive further instructions because I think they wanted to, like, tip it so that it wasn't just a straight... Now... None of these people are good at losing either. Like, the shit is pretty, that they're doing is pretty apparent. Like, they just stop instead of running all the whole way. Like, it's so it's, obvious that people know what's going on. Their coach is suspicious, Ring Lardner, and his, uh, the older gentleman who's with him. It's Studs Terkel that's that's playing the character, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, how much does Studs Terkel love baseball that he got involved in this? He's not an actor. No. (laughs) So, um, and then they end up winning a game that they're not supposed to win, losing a game they're not supposed to lose. They end up losing the whole thing, and the last loss is like, particularly egregious, it seems like. It's egregious because now the gangsters themselves have gotten involved. See, because there was um, there is a, a middleman, James Joseph Sport Sullivan, who's the Irish criminal right. that gets the money from... Um, there's so many criminals. Rothstein. <laughs> Rothstein. And he's the one who divides up the money and winds up using it to do his own gambling. And so he falls afoul of Rothstein, who sees that the wind might shift when they win that one game, and then starts sending people out to threaten the family members. The family members of people. And that's, and there's a real sea change, because suddenly you become realized, it's not just a bunch of mugs. These are hardened criminals who will stop at nothing at this right. point. 
There's a lot of money in play. And you've got half a team that's playing to win the World Series and half a team that's playing to lose a World Series. Right. Um, and it's never kind of clear where anybody... Like, Eddie just changes his mind in the middle of game three or something like yeah. that and just... And and wins a game, like you said, wins a game they're not supposed to lose, or they're supposed to lose, even though he's got 10K in his pocket, and the person who gave him the 10K is going to be like, uh, I'm going to need that money back <laughs> if you don't lose the series. Uh, they There's various scenes of sort of the detectives up in the... Um, I don't know if it's the, the detectives it's or journalists the journalists more, Lardner, with right. the list of, or with the rosters, and like every time somebody fucks up, uh-huh. they circle their name, but it's still never clear whether it's an, int- I mean, some of them are clearly intentional, yeah. but every error isn't necessarily an intentional error. People have errors all the time. They do, but we, when, like you said, when you see what they do, just looking the other way when the ball comes... Some, some of them some are, are very egregious, yeah. but some of them you're just like, well, this person fucked up. Uh-huh. Is he in on it, or did he just fuck up? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we're seeing... The owners are pissed about what's going on because uh-huh. they're losing money because they're probably betting on their own damn games. <laughs> and they s- go to a judge and make a police commissioner, or a, a, like you said, a baseball commissioner. Right. This is the very first baseball commissioner who's going to make rulings on who's allowed to play and when and what the... What the uh, Consequences. consequences. What the consequences okay. will be, and so they end up losing the series, holding up their end of whatever bargain they've made. It is unclear who gets paid what, and some people don't get paid anything. Like yeah. Buck Weaver, John Cusack's character, maintains the entire time he did not know about it. Not really. Uh-huh. He. Was that's the other thing is they're having conversations just in hallways and shit. Right, and Buck's this is like, like, "What's the, going on, the guys?" Least conspiratorial conspiracy. And they're ever. like, "Well, you were in our meeting," and he's like, you, "I wasn't in a meeting. I was walking to my room, and y'all right. were talking in a hallway. Like it wasn't. Mm. I was not taking." And part the way that they, they they formed this too is, you know, uh, the Swede and um, Chick Andy. They they get together, and they just start. They start telling the other guy, well, so-and-so is on the meeting. Yeah. We got Eddie, and Eddie was Mr. Integrity, it's, so Eddie's yeah, in. A bunch of people are, yeah. if you've got Eddie, you've got me. A bunch of people are, if you've got Joe, you've got me. Now, mm-hmm. Shoeless Joe Jackson is never got. He doesn't understand the motivations behind the plan. Uh-huh. He doesn't understand really what they'd want him to do, and if he did understand it, he wouldn't do it. He played, if you look at his stats for the series, as well as he ever did. And he always played well. There's a scene in the film that puzzled me, and I'm not sure if maybe you have some insight into it, I don't, that was possibly about some sort of self-destructive string he had, or a thread to his character, um, where he's staring into a candle in some sort of attempt to blind himself. And I didn't quite understand what that was about. And I think it's what people who don't have power in the South uh-huh. do for fun. I don't know. Not just in the South. 
in the North too. Because the, the the depiction of his character, or and again, we're we're talking he about. He always seemed historical very person. lonely to me, even though he was married. But he seems very in this film. He's detached from the rest of the players. Yeah. He gets mocked and heckled by his own fans. Yeah. You know, someone stands up in the stands and asks him to spell cat. Um, well, those weren't his fans. Those were Red's fans. But even his own fans, though, even the 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 uh, the uh, journalists, um, the sports journalists, are merciless with him too, and they mock him. It's like him. they think that he's putting it on. Yeah, like it's a persona or something he's doing. Right. And instead, this is just a very kind of simple man. Simple and He's sort of sad and he has a phenomenal talent at the one thing. At the one thing. And yeah. uh, Buck Weaver is almost there's a Buck seems to be John Cusack who's really good at this kind of part is reaching out to him all throughout the film in some sort of way to make him feel like he's not alone. Right. And he and Buck is the kind of guy who goes out and plays ball with the kids yep. and has conversations about with and he's really he makes a point of telling the kids about being loyal to your teammates. Yeah. And so there's a sense that these two guys who corrupted the entire team, basically the way they took everyone, took down the major players, was by saying, this guy's willing to do it, and yeah. you can't really play against your star player. Right. Which and there what, were, the problem they had, of course, was uh, there were several star players. Right. Um, so they end up being pressed. Several of them sign confessions, including Joe, who says, clearly right. doesn't know what it... He can't read the confession that they've written out for him, and he barely can hold a pen. He signs his name with an X. Yeah. It's clear that he doesn't know what he's admitting to. They end up going on trial, and it's really funny the way that the trial is sort of turned around, because... They're found not guilty, even though they clearly, at least some of them, mm-hmm. and some of them brag about having done this yes. thing. But they're like, we deserve the money, mm-hmm. and we're not, we're getting shit on by the owners. Charlie Sheen's character is sitting in a bar bragging with the sports mm-hmm. writers about taking the money. And on the other hand. And, but, and on mm-hmm. the stand, they're like, well, I'm not saying I mm-hmm. did. But I could see how somebody would want to. Right. Like, it's and a lot of... Like, Kaminsky himself gets on the stand and is, like, waffling back and forth. Well, does he believe they did it? Does he not believe they did it? I defend my team, but they're on trial for for a reason. And so you're going, well, what does that the mean? The same with their mm-hmm. with John Mahoney's character. Yeah. And finally, he's like, they're still the best fucking team I've ever seen play. Right. Regardless of anything else. And the they get applause for this, saw. so you can see what direction it's going in, but... And I, yeah. legally, they end up being found not guilty of conspiracy, I think, yeah. was the um, the charges. Uh, so the jury sided with them. Uh-huh. Like, whatever they did wrong, they did for good reason, or... No, mind you, you're also... The, the, part, the reason why they really get acquitted is because those confessions disappear. Oh, that's right. It I forgot about that. It comes up in the that. middle of the trial, well... You know, read the confession that says everything. What confession? And then it's it, the they are these guys, these baseball players are lost at sea when it comes to their legal rights. Oh yeah, they have no, no they have no idea anything to them. 
No one's telling them what their rights are. At one point, Buck stands up and goes, "Wait, I had the, I could have been tried separately." Like, oh. yeah, he's like he stands up because he's with like these Good. eight other guys or these seven other guys because it's yeah. eight men out, right? It's eight of them. So he stands up with these seven other guys. He's like, "I'm on trial for a thing that I don't know shit about." Right. These all these motherfuckers are all winking at each other like they know some shit, and right. I don't know anything. And we we know that there's at least four actual jerks in this crowd. Like four of the eight men, half of them we know. And then but the there was ra- another part where somebody asked them. Uh-huh. It was almost like is right to remain silent or something like that. It, I mean, it wasn't a Miranda uh-huh. Wright situation, but it was a very basic, mm-hmm. like, like what's your contract say or something? And they're like, what contract? Like yeah. what? Like, these players are being used by these organizations. It's clear. And the more that stuff came out, the more everybody was on the side of the players. Even though they lost the in series. Yeah. So that sucks. Like. So do you think the sympathy, like, everyone knew what a jerk Comiskey was? Do you think that's... I mean, I, I don't think he was doing himself any favors... When I mean, how public was it when the, the, the everyone well I don't know but at that beginning mm-hmm. like the whole first 10 15 minutes mm-hmm. is intercut with the players and him basically doing a press conference yeah and he's bragging about how much money he's gonna make how like how profitable everybody is to him how they're the best team ever this that and the other and then as w- then we slowly find out, they're not making very much money. They're not getting bonuses. They're not like they're being take like seriously taken advantage of. And I think all that stuff was put out in the in the trial. Uh-huh. And that's not a good look. Yeah, I, I just I, I think that the players were favored, but they were just these guys could have been working in offices for the amount of money they were getting. Mm-hmm. You know that that. Well, yeah, nineteen nineteen probably. I mean, just, not Joe. These people are not being. Joe's treated. good at baseball and yeah. probably very little else. Um, so but, they're they're acquitted, uh-huh. and then the final thing that we see, well, the not the not the final scene, but uh, the last thing we see is the owners sort of in with the commissioner and the commissioner saying, "This is the now the commissioner of baseball who mm-hmm. is like." the god of baseball, apparently, saying, regardless of what the United States legal system says, if a player throws a game, they are never, ever going to be able to play baseball again. Yeah. Now, how they determined that all eight of these men were responsible for throwing a game when... They only had three signed confessions, and those are gone. Right. I don't know. This, but yeah. what it came out to be was, mm-hmm. like, the ultimate sort of decision was none of these men were allowed to play professional baseball ever again. This reminds me a lot of the uh, development of the MPA, the film right. body, that basically they just created an organization right. to govern films because there was some sort of, there was a, a possible rape and murder at a Hollywood party. And so, because of that, and because the public what idea... What does that have to do with PG-13 ratings? Well, no, that was the Fatty Arbuckle and the, the, the murder of the young actress who supposedly he raped and murdered. It's, it's a, 
I don't know anything about oh, what yeah. you're talking about. But that was the birth of the Hayes Code, and then later on the birth of a self-governing body. These people don't really have, they're not, it's not a government office, not a government no. position. It's very arbitrary. It is. And so they get to make arbitrary decisions. Yep. And it was something similar here because this kind of, they created this guy, the, the Comiskey. Yeah, and they the were just like, come be, come be the boss of us. Choose a war hero. And not even be the boss of uh, us. <laughs> oh, say it. We say what happens. It's the owners uh-huh. saying, we need somebody on our side against right. all of our players. Not Who is that. the last word, but is it one of us? And what is it built on? At one point, we need to keep up the thick-lipped, hook-nosed... Oh, God. Now, this is one of the things that you see in this film, because there is a genuine Jewish gangster behind right. it. The he played, honestly, though, they made a bargain with him. He did, he was a gangster, but that's what he did. The Irish criminal, the middleman, who's the guy who never gets blamed for it, is the one who cheated the players out of their, their yeah, money. Yeah, because he said, uh-huh. Rothstein, the uh-huh. man behind the fix, right, right. said, here's $80,000, that goes to the players. That is what the players were supposed to get yes. for the fix, and they were going to get more afterwards, I believe. Yeah. That money trickled down to them so that it's unclear where more than 20000 of that went. And this was uh, Kevin Tai. He plays Joseph Sport Sullivan. And he's the guy who just give this part to the players. I'm going to take the rest. And he just starts gambling away on it. He just, yeah, he puts it all on the games that he knows yeah. the outcomes but to. But the fact that it always goes back to Rothstein and never so touches these other guys. Because, no. you know, it's like what we have to do is keep... Jews out of, you know, gambling on the game, and we have to, but it's like, that's not who you, the, the well, only person that, to worry about. No, it's not the only person to worry right. about, but clearly the most important, because if those middlemen didn't have cash. They didn't have cash, and so. Then they're not going to be involved in your game. Right. But I, <laughs> so, <laughs> fundamentally, it's where the money comes from that causes the issue. Um, no, it's right. not Jews. <laughs> no, yeah, but I mean, Jews that's the up. only person they mention is the criminal element. Well, I'd, I would say in 1919, though, I don't know that the Irish were white yet. <laughs> That's, so, they weren't quite white. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they were. And then the final scene is pretty sad. Um, it's five years later. It's a minor league game, and Joe Jackson is playing on this team, and people are like, that's Joe Jackson, and they're like, there's no way that's him. And we see... Uh, John Cusack's character sitting in the bleachers. He's like, I saw Joe play. He's like, he's the greatest there ever was. And this guy ain't him. And just to keep right. him, you know, keep his... To let him play. Because this is a situation where, you know, in 1924, if you didn't see a man play baseball, you didn't know what the fuck that dude looked like. You know, the players, <laughs> we didn't have television cameras. You'd we have, have these grainy-ass right. newspaper pictures. The players were... A hundred feet away from you mm-hmm. at all times. On the best but of times. But they would, right. you could hang out afterwards. They would shake your hand. They would, yeah. you know, throw but a, a ball with you. a person could change his name like Absolutely. Joe did and move to another, you know, part of the country and he could still have a career there, which is what... And he's he playing, you know, minor league ball because he's right. not allowed to play major league ball anymore. Um, and, but he, it's it's all he can do. Yeah. That's all he can do. And he was in the prime of his career. Yeah. And they just Which took makes it away it, from him. The whole story Which is, the whole time, uh-huh. they're like, well, Comiskey's not going to ice his entire team. We're literally the best team that ever was. This motherfucker was like, y'all are expendable, bye. Yeah. Which is, cr- like, 
is crazy. He must have had the second fucking best team coming up behind him. I don't know, but um, did do you think that he was really like this is something that he wanted to do though? I have the impression that the the commissioner took the matter out of his hands by. Um, my sense is that the commissioner did whatever the fuck the owner well, yeah, told him to do. Okay, I my my sense was like that this was a decision that they were not on board with, but he took it away from them because he had this sort of moral imperative, according to his mind, because he's kind of uh, the commissioner comes across as a very self righteous person here, and also a person who's kind of manipulative because when they offer money, he starts talking about. I mean, before they offer money, he wants to talk salary before he agrees to anything. Well, possibly because he also knows that that this group of owners are cheapskates. Well, but also that they have all the money. Yeah, I'm trying to see. It's unclear. So he um, initially defended the players, Uh um, provided them with legal representation, which is expensive and surprising, frankly. Um, Ultimately, supported the commissioner. Kennesaw Mountain Landis. That is the dude's name. Yeah, great. Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Kennesaw, because that we ran out of obscure Old Testament names. That is a white man's name, if ever you've heard one. And um, support, you know, and ultimately supported that decision that he made. But um, yeah, I still am unclear, and they. They literally gloss over it in a couple of lines, he says, regardless of what the legal system, the American legal system right. says. If a baseball player is uh, is ever fixes a game, mm-hmm. they don't get to play baseball anymore. Well, but I'm seriously, how do you know all five or all eight of these men? Well, they didn't have individual games. trials. They didn't have nope. any. So it was a corporate. And guilt. we never saw any yeah. trial ahead in front of this dude. And as I said, you only really know that about half of them are people who are enthusiastic or willing to go through with this. Yeah, there was a the other pitcher, not Eddie, but uh-huh. their other pitcher, clearly a lefty. Was it Lefty? Lefty Williams, yeah. Yeah, he clearly was, because he's the first pitcher that they had pitching in the series, and Uh he was fucking it up. Um, Clearly on purpose. Charlie Sheen just dropping balls. Yeah. Just, I mean. But again, the the way that they did it, the, the fact that what really gives them away is they went from the best team in baseball to the mistakes they make. Butterfingers! Look like, like it's the really, bad news bears, right? Yes, <laughs> they really go like, to this extreme to where everyone's like, wait a second. Like, I don't know anything about baseball. Uh, You're doing it wrong. Right, yeah. It's like, they, they suddenly look like a group of uh, soccer players on the baseball field. But it is, it is confusing during that whole... Uh-oh. During that whole time uh-huh. uh, of what... Yeah, who's in on it. Right. Who's in on... Which I don't actually think is a problem with the film. Like, last week we talked about time issues with The Gorillas uh-huh. and the Mist, where we're like, when yeah, is you, this? You didn't get a good sense I of don't it. have a problem with being confused on who is in on the plot and who isn't uh-huh. in this case, because I don't know that the players themselves, from one game to the next... We're all in or all out. And that's probably a better way to say it. It's as if it's deliberately confusing as to what the plot is or what the plan right. is. 
And then when I sort of, I don't mean the plot of the movie, I mean the plot to conspire. Right. But I also think that these people were legitimately changing their stance from one game to the next. Because, well, A, they weren't getting the money that they were promised. So after game one, if there aren't dollars in my hand, I have no reason to do anything that you guys ask me to do. All I know for sure is that Comiskey is going to try to cheat them out of every single dollar that he can do it. But if they they have set up a deal Uh to throw these games, it's not for shits and giggles. It's Mm -hmm. for money. Yeah. Well, if that money does not materialize after game one of a series, then I don't really feel the need well, to do what you asked me to do in game two. Well, they seem to keep coming back to um, the two original conspirators and asking them what's going on, and they're saying, well, right. be patient. And, and so it just falls apart really quickly. It does. It, so there, there's a plan at game mm, one, but when they don't get money at the end of game yeah. one... Game two gets a little, mm, and then game three gets a little, mm, and yeah. So it and and people are kind of in and out as a as money comes in or doesn't appear, mm-hmm. and also as they're just they're in front of their fans. Yeah, and the fans they're, they're and they a, can hear them. Um, uh, David uh, Strathairn, Strathairn. Yeah. How do you pronounce this? Strathairn. Strathairn. His uh, character has a really some really poignant moments with his wife you see him as a family man mm-hmm. right and he has this relationship with his wife and his two daughters this is the whole reason why he's doing this yeah he and, was he was uh, owed a ten thousand dollar bonus for the season right and was and comiskey cheated built him, him cheat him out of it so now and, he's like well i need that ten thousand dollars so when there's scenes and there's a lot of great scenes which he does skull. get it's under his pillow a lot of great scenes in this film one of which is him watching his wife and daughters in the stands and knowing that they're watching him throw this game. Yeah. And the actors are all, well, the actors who are feeling the worst about the conspiracy, either D.B. Uh, Sweeney's, uh, Julius Joe, aware that it's going on and still trying to play. Trying to play. Just play the best baseball that they right. can play while their, but their teammates are dropping things that they shouldn't be dropping, right. throwing pitches like fastballs that are super slow, curveballs that are super straight. And what what's really bugging me is that um, Eddie uh, Chicote, I guess, uh, David Strathairn's character, the weight of it falls on him. The weight of it falls on him to pitch badly to ensure that the games are lost. So yeah. it just makes him look bad. Like, the first game uh-huh. is thrown entirely on Eddie's yeah. back because everyone else refuses to look bad. So yeah. the whole thing comes down to him. And but also he's the only one who's seen money. Ten thousand he's he required ten thousand dollars um before the game started and he got that money. So he's going to do what he's been sort of hired to do. But everybody else plays fine. And so he's pulled. And then they put him back in game three because he's like, no, I right. don't think I, I mean, I'm playing like I can't lose. And then it turns out he does, in fact, win. They do win the third game, which is, which then pisses everybody right. on the other it sends side off. waves through the whole community of people. And there's threats made and, yeah. uh, 
yeah, people turned, returned, re in you know, it's it's pretty twisty, um, but it's very good, well acted. The the people in it are like you know all so so good. I think that um, John Sales is a really good writer director, and he. When I was younger, I used to watch a lot of um, movie review programs because I was interested in becoming a filmmaker. Uh-huh. And so I watched uh, Siskel Niebert really push John Sale's career. He was writing films uh, at first for Roger Corman. And the films he wrote for Roger Corman are all actually kind of distinctive and funny, even when they're goofy movies about giant alligators or, you know, Attack of the Piranha. He still wrote a lot of fun bits into those movies. Uh-huh. Um, so he could raise m- uh, money to make a film called The Return of the Secaucus 7, and that got really pushed by Siskel and Ebert back in the day. And then it was just a whole string of really good movies, like Brother from Another Planet, and yeah, just great stuff. So I knew that... I always respect the work that he does. This one really kind of was even in a different class from some of the other stuff. I think the other film uh, that I really like of his is Lone Star which is a wonderful movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this one really, I, I didn't know what to go, what to expect going into it. I'm not really a big fan of baseball. Although, I mean, you, because I was like, it's yeah. about baseball players. Right. And then right before it started, you're like, oh, is, is it about the Black Sox? Well, yeah. And I very, was like, yeah. I, yes, but I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so I just I I was really surprised at how really compelling the movie was and how he made me care about these people, and how bad I felt for the ones who are struggling to try to still win despite what their teammates are doing, and they still get implicated in this conspiracy, and they still aren't allowed to play. I mean, the whole thing seems really unfair. Well, yeah. Yeah, and having the commissioner be the sort of end-all, be-all and sort of be at the behest of owners feels bad. Every every time I learn anything about professional sports, it feels bad to me. Yeah, it, it does. It's like the... I used to, when I was younger, sort of resent the fact that baseball players getting paid so much money or basketball players and then you realize that they're disposable and this is their shot at retaining some of that before they get cast aside yep basically and And they're making so much more money for the owners of those teams because that was a complaint when i used to work for the school system well school teachers never get paid that much and that's an actual legitimate complaint um, but at the same time, for the sake of the actual players, I understand that if they are um, suffer like a, an injury, they're just scrapped. That's it. Yeah, you don't get to work till you're you don't work till you're sixty five and out. Right. You work until you're thirty five if you're lucky. Yeah, you reach your prime very early, and then you've got to live for the rest of your life uh-huh. on what you've made. And so, every yeah. game is an opportunity to get injured. Mm-hmm. Every t- game is an opportunity to. To put yourself in a position to where you can't do it anymore. Also, not for nothing, uh-huh. but the argument teachers don't get make don't make what uh-huh. professional athletes make. It, yeah, no, yes, teachers should make more money. Yeah, but that I think that argument ties into the 
people who have a problem with NFL players protesting because we pay for you to be here. No, 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 no. The school teachers are paid by the government, basically. Yeah. They're paid out of public funds. Athletes are paid private money by private citizens. They're not paid by the United States of America. That's true, yeah. So that is a bullshit comparison. Like, I'm just tired of people going like, if you don't like America, who pays you? Get mm -hmm. the fuck out. It's not America that pays them. It's the rich-ass owner that's making millions off their back that pays them. So yeah. it's not my taxpayers going to the, the 49ers. Well, again, that was It's the my tax fund yeah. money that goes to their stadiums for is, some fucking reason, right. which is bullshit. <laughs> but There's a lot of money being made by the wrong people. And it's, it's not, not that, necessarily the wrong people, but but it's not redistributed. Yeah, I'm a socialist. Redistributed in a way you know, that makes any sense. It's just that again, it, it's there are people who are not seeing anything, and people who are contributing, and yeah. they're not seeing anything. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, it we're going to we're going to penalize the players at times for stuff that they're just trying to hold on to something yeah. so that there's a legacy for them. It's something like this isn't going to happen now yeah. because they are, even at the lowest level of professional baseball, making more than... Yeah. This isn't going to happen. Well, it's... I, I don't know. What's the cost of living now for... Well, I mean, it's high. Yeah. But it's, you know, they're not making $100,000 a year. They're no. typically making more than that. I don't know if that's actually 100% true. But a star pitcher is making more than that. Yeah, I just, I felt watching this movie a lot of sympathy for the players and the sort of situation that these particular people were stuck in. But also, this, understood. And it's the other thing that was really interesting was as we're starting the game, I was like, these fucking players hate each other. Oh, yeah. That was something. Like, that was something really obvious. Right off the bat, there's a large group of men. Who have literally nothing in common with each other other than they all play baseball for this team. Yeah, the like, notion that they're, they're all buddies. And yeah, it wasn't know. a team. There were friends within the group, but they were, yeah, they were heckling each other as much as any fan or anyone in the stands were. Yeah. They were dicks to each other. Like, all of them. And I'm just like, oh, these guys hate each other. Which makes it even more sort of difficult when half your team is in on this thing, half your team is knows about it and is fighting against it, and half your team doesn't... Yes, I understand that's three halves, but <laughs> let's turn it into thirds and move on. Um, never, a third of your team math, doesn't so even know what the fuck is going on. It's yeah. just playing... Oh my God, the poor ref. The ref is one of the more interesting, uh, even though you never see him really outside of the, the playing field. He at one point slugs one of the players because he's just so frustrated by what they're obviously doing. Yeah, and then he's like, one... "Play fucking baseball." Right. And there's one player. Now, on the... granted, baseball. Uh -huh. Here's me and baseball. This is my relationship with baseball. Here's okay. where I break with baseball. It, it is legal in baseball uh -huh. if there is a man at the up at bat that you don't want to have hit this ball. Your catcher can go halfway between the plate 
like first base yeah. and home plate, and you could just pitch it to him and walk that dude. That is bullshit. That seems like, I always <laughs> seem to be like... Part. As soon as I saw that that shit was legal, I was like, fuck all these dudes. Like, uh, mm. That always seemed to me like poor sportsmanship it, in a way. Yes, it's and just even sort of if like, the dude at bat is hopped up on steroids right. and is definitely going to hit a home run, that is the game y'all are playing. I am a professional boxer. I do not get to go... I don't like that other guy. He's bigger than me. I'm going to refuse to fight him. I'm, I'm going to fight somebody just else not tonight. Gonna fight him. <laughs> it's like you can't do that. That's what but it feels like to me. Like, yeah, it's gross. <laughs> I'm just like, what are they doing? Right. Totally legal. This is legal in the sport. Oh, I'm not about yeah, the sport. Yeah, it just—it's one of those things uh, when. Um, and I'm not anti-sport. Right. I'm not like a person who's like, "Ooh, what is a ball?" Like, that's not. You know, I'm not anti-sport. I've never quite, I never quite got into it though. I mean, my my dad, my brother, my mom. I had to, an uncle, two uncles who were Golden Glove competitors. One went pro, so boxing was a big thing in our house. I don't consider boxing really a sport. It's, I mean, I guess it is. I it, guess it, it is. is a sport when you can win by essentially playing tag and running around. Um, and there's a few mm. boxers who I could I could say that you know. Uh, anyhow, but <laughs> yeah, I like football, but right. fuck the NFL. So I guess I don't get to watch football anymore. That's fine. Yeah, the NFL is not looking not really good it. right now. <laughs> so I'm not doing it. Be better. <laughs> be, listen to the first lady and be best. Right, be best. Oh, it's really ungrammatical, but then again, you know, English isn't yeah, her well, first language. She's gotta, you know, take Obama's up a notch. Right. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, that, that didn't quite work out really well. Yeah. So uh, I'm not a baseball person, but I do like baseball movies. Uh, yeah, as it turns out. I, will I like watch, sports movies. I will watch The Natural. I love that movie. I never have seen it. It is beautifully done. When I say I'll watch baseball movies, uh, what I mean is in the future, maybe I'll watch the baseball movies. I can't think of a single baseball movie I've seen. I've seen Angels in the Outfield. Have you seen Bull Durham? No. Have you seen Field of Dreams? No. Which is coincidentally about Shoeless Joe. Also Jackson. Shoeless Joe, yes. Making a comeback. So that's the thing. I don't think I've actually watched that many baseball movies, but I'm not like, ugh, You're not opposed to watching movie. baseball yeah, movies. No. Philosophically, I will watch it. Uh, yes. You know, no. I, um, yeah. Well, then I was like, is this going to be like a courtroom drama? Because you know I love a courtroom drama. Well, And there was less courtroom but then the, I would have liked the movie itself, though the baseball scenes, it actually made it really interesting because he wasn't just. Well, yeah, that's the other thing about watching right. a baseball movie versus a ba- baseball game. Mm-hmm. Baseball game is like eighty percent shit. I do not care about right. baseball movie. Hundred percent shit. Well, I care about. <laughs> I love listening to baseball games over the radio in the background because they just like they have to fill time. It's by. like a whole lot of nothing, and right. then crack. <sighs> Uh, there was because um, my ex-wife's family was also big into sports, and so they'd be listening to a baseball game. And I remember sitting listening to a local uh, broadcaster go on about how much he was offended by Adrian Lin's remake of Lolita in the middle of a baseball game because he had because there was to nothing talk else about. to say. I'm filling time, folks. I'm just filling right. time, I'm and just, I have said everything right. about baseball so like, that wow, I can say. Okay, so let me, let's talk let movies. Me listen to a movie review while, while this game is going on. There's just so, and they're they. That's yeah, hilarious. It's, it's really and funny. also it makes me want to do a podcast. Yes, where just, I am 
ostensibly, you know, na- what are they called? Narrating. It's not that. Casting. Sports casting. Right. A, a baseball game. What is, what is the word? That is... Well, what is the word that you would say? I don't know. Calling? I don't know. Anyways, ostensibly, I'm here to tell you what's happening on the baseball field, but I never ever do. It's just three hours of me babbling about other shit and then right. being like, and that's the game. There was three, a, two, there click. There was a series, the Bay Series, years ago that was uh, so boring it was stopped by God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 1989, earthquake. Um, there was a point where one of the broadcasters was describing, like two of them got into an argument over whether or not you can see the wind. Because a banner was moving on the field, <laughs> like an like an is it the wind that we're exactly. seeing or is it the wow you guys? And it's like the wind. You, guys, no, no, you don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. It's like, but I see that banner moving. It must that be the wind. I think is <laughs> why baseball commentators are so well loved in the areas yeah. that they are commentating. I th- I feel like that's why people love those people so much because it's. Five percent baseball and ninety-five percent right. whatever weird shit is going on in and, their and head. Again, if the person's really interesting, really right? Interesting. You can you can do that. It's like, oh, I want to hear this guy talk. It's sort of, I could listen. I remember watching um, the DVD for I think it's Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. I could listen to Guillermo del Toro just talk about monster movies. Right. No, of course. Forever. I, there are certain there people and, who, yes, please talk. Like, well, I've seen all these movies and he's describing other movies I haven't seen, which there's a shrinking in number. But then he's just giving all these interesting ideas about alternative readings of the same movie. I have that No, he's idea. talking about all a bunch of other movies. Other in movies his... He's not even talking about the film he made, which is he's giving the narration. So you're for. watching right. Pan's Labyrinth and listening to uh, a dissertation on right. horror films. And you're listening. It's like you have a really intelligent knowledgeable friend sitting next to you on the couch talking to you about everything except the movie that he made. Are there closed captions? Because I feel like sometimes when he talks real fast, I can't understand what he said. I, no, there weren't for the, the, the mm. audio track. I was it was purely an audio track. But it was pretty damn funny. He talks about Mexican culture. He talks about being bullied on the playground when he was a little boy. He talked just like random things. Random. He's just like, uh, did you want to mention anything about Doug right. Jones in this scene? It's, no? You good? Okay. I, I think it's probably because he's, there's, um, I know that there are some films where there are multiple audio tracks where one of them is him so actually talking about So he did do that film. and then he was like, then, um, I've got some more time if you guys want to right. come back tomorrow and we can just, just record about everything else. So, that's yeah, really that's, funny. It's, I, I could listen to that guy all day long. But, okay. So yeah. I think that comes to the end of this movie. It's Overall, a, it's real good. It's a really good movie. John Sales did not stir you wrong. Sorry if our um, sort of recap was confusing. The movie is a little bit confusing. That's not bad, though. It's just... It's keeping you off balance. But it's also... I think, the, I think it's also a bit of a meta thing. Like, right. it was confusing... The story was confusing, and so the movie is a little bit confusing to keep you a little bit like. And I don't think anybody really knows 100% who knew what, when, and what people's motivations were at every moment. You can't. And there's so many characters to keep track of. Um, This film, to his credit, does a really good job of letting you know pretty much who the villains and heroes are, at least the ones that we know for sure. And it's currently available on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to watch it, uh, oh, maybe not. Maybe it's on stars, but 
I have stars through Amazon Prime, so a special. Um, so do you have anything you want to talk about? You said you might, your recommendations well was running a bit dry. It was. I saw a film this weekend. It's not a film I can recommend, oh. um, which is a pity. It was 20 minutes of a movie I could recommend. Unfortunately, the film went on for about two hours. Yeah. How about, hey... Tessa Farmiga, we recommend you be in better Tessa things. Tessa Farmiga, <laughs> again, it's, it's, I remember one week I actually recommended the trailer for Godzilla in front of a movie. That's right. And, and I, I wish I could do that. I, I just keep seeing the trailer for White Boy Rick. Um, okay, wait, real quick, we're going to okay, talk about here, trailers. Okay, yes, we have to. <laughs> we have to talk about that. We're going to talk about trailers. We went to see The Nun yesterday. The Nun, the, the movie nun, I can't recommend. The movie he cannot recommend. But we recommend anything with Tessa Farmiga in it, so it's a soft recommend. Also, Damien Bashir is acting his fucking face off in this movie. That is why I said it's 20 minutes of a good movie. I could edit that film into a good movie. Into a good movie. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> We We've seen several movies in the theaters. We've got the... I had the movie pass for a little while. He And now we both have the AMC A plus premiere, whatever. We pay 20 bucks a month and we can see three movies a week for free. It's a good deal. We're doing it. So we're seeing a lot of movies. A lot of movies. In front of every movie, regardless of genre, time of day, animated, not animated... The trailer for the remake of A Star is Born is playing. It's always the last trailer before the movie starts. I don't know why. It's just what they... It's I've seen it 13 times. So yesterday, in front of The Nun, it was not the same trailer for A Star is Born. Nope. It was four. Four. I'm going to say that again. Four different scenes, all of which were from the trailer but extended. So you saw a full, mm, they were all a minute to 90, 90 seconds long. Scenes from A Star is Born peppered between the other trailers. Now, if the last trailer we had seen would have been that same fucking Star is Born trailer, I might have walked the fuck out of the theater. We ended up watching about a full five minutes of the new Star is Born movie. And it made me feel two ways. It made me feel more interested in seeing the movie because I'm very tired of that trailer. And also... So, like, I never need to see another frame of this goddamn movie again because they're trying so hard for me to see this movie. Realistically, absolutely, I'm going to watch this movie. I mentioned I have an AMC thing. I'm going to see it for free. We will be watching it. Um, Bradley Cooper is doing a very convincing alcoholic. He, like, is channeling my father, and it's upsetting to me. But four scenes before the movie I came to by the time the movie started I was like what the fuck did we come to see because I'm pretty sure yeah, it was a star is born what I've never seen this before I've been going to movies for th say 30 years eh, 
slightly less than that, but whatever. I've never seen a push like this. Even before this four-scene extravaganza that they decided to do, um, I've never seen the same trailer in front of every fucking movie that I've gone to go see, regardless of what type of film it was. Um, but this is like... And it's still on month out. Yeah. What are they going to do in two weeks? So my feeling about this was, um, as I'm watching this, we it appears to be four intact scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's not even presented like a trailer. You're just no. abruptly watching a scene between these two characters. Yeah, there's no intro. Right. There's no, it's just, Nothing. here's a scene from a movie. Now, like I said, <laughs> they were all extended scenes from that trailer that has been circulating right. for the past month and a half or so, which I was actually kind of grateful for because the first one was where she says, everyone I've ever, ta- I ever, you know, everyone says that I sound good, but I look bad or whatever. But, and the way that it's cut in the trailer, I'm like, that's not an answer to what he just said. And right. it fucking aggravates me every time. This gives the entire, like an actual conversation Context, to right. make it like, get from line A to line Q, which is what she's actually saying. Um, so I was appreciative of that, but um, yeah. I, I think so much that I, I'm, I don't know that it's the full scene intact. I mean, we're just seeing what we see, but it almost felt like a, <laughs> like a running joke. You know, it here did. it comes again. And wait, it really felt scene? like an SNL bit. Right. Every commercial's coming. for Tide. It was right. like those. Yes, exactly. And, and um, I have no doubt that it will become an SNL skit in the future because it was it's just too good a target. It was bonkers. Again, I don't know if it's quite my thing. The film looks really well acted. I have to say that they're Bradley clearly Cooper, on an Oscar push. Right. Bradley of Cooper epic and Lady Gaga. It sounds so funny. Who did, isn't using her actual name? I was really surprised. I it's, thought yeah. here would be where she would. She won an Emmy as Lady Gaga, so maybe she's like, "Well, yeah. fuck it, I'm all in now." Like, but y'all she, know what my real name is. So. She is really doing some great film acting. She's very good. And what I mean by film acting is acting small, small. in these little tiny things yeah. in close-ups, which is impressive uh, because. As a performance artist, uh-huh. which is what she was musically, um, it's all so big. Yeah, and that's it. Sure, her persona. And I is think her being life, on right. TV helped her modulate down. Yeah. Um, but I also think she's. I think she's very talented. I think she's very talented. I, I think... also think that they actually might have written some songs in here that are, are going to be like. <laughs> oh, hey, that is a legit good song, which is always dangerous when you're like, oh, this is a really good songwriter. And right. you're like, oh, God, yeah. what kind of terrible music are you actually going to make me listen to? I think they've got some good songs. Well, there, there's that song that I mentioned yesterday after... <coughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. After watching the trailer, I'm like the stupid song is in my head, and I've never heard the entire song. I've heard four lines. Oh, yeah, I know, over and over <laughs> I'm again. Like, oh my god! In the trailer, I know. I'm like, can now? you just release the song? Because I have four lines in my head, and it's now. pretty good, right? But uh, there's a scene with uh, Dave Chappelle that we saw that yes. was really well acted, 
There's another scene between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga sitting in a parking lot that is really well acted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after a while, it became too much of a good thing, and then I'm going, okay, I need this to stop because yeah. I don't know. I yeah, I forgot what I was supposed to be watching. Yeah, like, what are, what are, uh, but I'm also like, I don't want to see another fucking frame of this movie. Yeah. Until I decide to go see this movie. Like, you're going to just push me right out of wanting to see it. Realistically, I don't, I'll probably still see it. We'll see what it opens against. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't know how... I get three free movies, so... Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's getting a little bit crazy. But at the same time, we were in this Dolby AMC situation with, like, reclining seats and very loud sound. Oh, yeah. And there, there are not less than three commercials for the type of theater that we're sitting in. Yeah. And I'm like, stop selling me the ticket I already bought. Like, I paid the $18.99. That's right. We saw a movie at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekend, and it was an $18.99 ticket. That'd be free because of the AMC thing. See before, free ticket. But the ticket price was eighteen ninety nine for a matinee. Yeah, I'd already bought it though, so I don't need to see these Dolby commercials repeatedly. Well, the Dolby commercials too—they were also at... they're very loud, and I was like, this might have been a mistake. It reminded me there was a time when I was uh, younger that I was uh, going to LA to visit some relatives and. I made the mistake of standing out on the airstrip waiting for the plane to land, and it became unbearable, the amount of noise. So loud. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, it was so I was loud. reclining in this chair, and if I didn't, it would have blown me back anyhow. Um, and it has the, the kind of, mm. they call it um, sound that moves you. It's just mm. vibration. Sound it's that just hurts you is more like it. Um, vibration. But yeah, I just, I, I I'm like... I like, oh my god, I hope to god the entire movie isn't this loud because I don't think I can take it. Yeah. And it fortunately it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, but it was a lot. I was like, uh, I like this recliner, but I don't like the sound system. So, mm. but once again, I've bought the ticket. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one you need to sell on the fucking Magic of Dolby. <sighs> magic of Thomas Dolby, that would be different. I want to recommend something instead of bitch about something. So, finding her with science. Anyhow, yes. So I don't have something to recommend, but um, but I might next week because it's. I don't want to when I'm watching a new program go. Oh, you got to go see this. Go and see then it this. Just and then you watch it. Yeah. Two episodes into the run. And yeah, I'm we're like, watching ah. a Netflix original that might be terrible. Right, so we'll get back terrible. to you soon. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to binge the entire thing all at the same time. So I'm going to recommend uh-huh. Happy Things. I recommend The Great British Bake Off. I've recommended it once before, but here's the truth. The re- most recent one was released on Netflix last weekend, so it's totally there and bingeable. Mel and Sue and Mary Berry have left the program. I thought, well, fuck this show then, I'm never watching it. But then it was there, and I was like, well, I'll try it, and it's still lovely. I don't know anything about the Mighty Boosh. So if you like the Mighty Boosh, you're definitely going to like one of the new hosts, uh, Noel Fielding. But the new judge is lovely, and the new 
hosts are lovely and I was wrong to think that I was going to hate it because it's still lovely. Also, if you have Hulu or can watch NBC On Demand, making it with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman is basically the Great British Bake Off for crafts, and it's the best. For crafts. For crafts. I didn't know that. Crafters. I never. I always see the end when someone's about to get voted off, so I didn't know exactly what they didn't were Didn't know doing. what they were. They they're if given was, yeah. tasks to make a thing, and uh-huh. then they make a thing in whatever medium they use. If they're paper crafters, if they're felt crafters, if they're wood crafters, okay. if it's, and it's. Six episodes for the first season. It's been picked up for a second season. Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler are beautiful and lovely together. The judges are a woman from Etsy. (laughs) I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. And Simon... Oh, Tiny Simon, who I knew from... Tiny Simon? I knew him from something. Probably like Project Runway or something. Um... But so there are lovely judges, lovely hosts. It's really it is. It is the Great British Bake Off, but for crafting. So if very non-competitive competition shows make you warm and fuzzy, then this is a perfect thing. And like I said, it's only six episodes. Competition so. is stressful, you know. <laughs> but like all of like the, these are competition shows where they are making things. They're all very different. Mm-hmm. In their approaches, and they're all very supportive of each other. They all realize that it's not the end of the world. Like, it, nobody's coming on to making it or the Great British Bake Off. Like, bitch, I ain't here to make friends. <laughs> like, that's Which actually not is what I, my first words as a child. What's happening? Um, and I'm contemplating uh, applying for the next season of making it. Uh, I won't get on. But I'm contemplating you applying you might anyways. Get on. And then you'll go like, oh shit, I'm on. And uh, yeah, and then I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be the first off. Huzzah! And then what you do is just go every week. Limited. Go every no, but you're you're. I can do a little of a lot limited. of things. So, mm. well, that's <sighs> fun. I think that means we have to end today. So. Jesus, I can't. Can they just? Hi. Welcome to Oakland, where sometimes a car alarm goes off for no fucking reason. Probably because somebody tried to open their door or accidentally hit their panic button. Uh, I guess you could find us on social media. We've got a Facebook group and page at Latecomers. You can look us up there. You can email us at the Latecomers at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Lemuel's book, Perfect for Halloween, is available on Amazon. And I think that's it. I think that's all we can do. I'm going to go ahead and apologize for the beeping and say, better late Late than than never. never. (laughs) Fuck.